Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 109, Revelation 13, verses 7 through 8. In our last podcast, we took a deep dive into studying the beast and his relationship to the man he will possess. It became clear that the unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, the second beast, desire not just power, but glory. They desire to be worshipped by all. And to do that, they specifically blaspheme the name of Yahweh and those who comprise his holy tabernacle. Let's pick up at the end of Revelation 13.5 to quickly touch on a popular fiction, and then we will pick up in verses 7 through 8. Fiction alert, fiction alert. Authority to act for 42 months. An authority to act for 42 months was caused to be given to him. In today's modern end times narratives, it is generally held that the Antichrist will be a global ruler for the entire seven-year period of the tribulation. However, that is not accurate, and it is a fabrication. The man, the Antichrist, will have no power, throne, or great authority on his own. Rather, it all comes from the beast who receives it from the dragon. As we have discussed, during the first three and a half year, the man is possessed by lesser demons, described in Job as the hawk, and whose deeds are described in Daniel. This lesser spirit moving through the man will establish the kingdom of the beast on the earth. But when the beast, who is also described as an eagle, which is mightier than a hawk, is released from the abyss at the blowing of the fifth trumpet, he will shortly thereafter possess the man. Then. He is given authority to act for just 42 months or for the mystical three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation period. Yet despite the fictions you may have heard, the beast will only have the second three and a half year period to exercise his global dominance and to carry out his atrocities against mankind. Thankfully, in his mercy, God has limited the time and the impact of this monster. War Against the Saints, Revelation 13, verses 7 through 8. And it was caused to be given to him to make war with the holy ones and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was caused to be given to him. All who are now dwelling on the earth will in the future worship him, whose name has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the Lamb, caused to being slain from the foundation of the world. Who is really in control? In chapter 11, we discussed in detail this war against the Holy Ones, the two witnesses. The important takeaway is that the power to make war against the people of God was given to him. Neither the beast nor Satan can wage any war against the people of God unless their master, Yahweh Sabaoth, deems it so. Therefore, from the perspective of the Father, this war and the overcoming of the Holy Ones is an intentional sacrifice. God has deemed it to be so. He is just using the tool of the beast 
and Satan to accomplish his desires. The Codex is clear. There is no authority except from God. This would include Satan's kingdom or the kingdom of the beast. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It goes on to say that these governmental authorities are the Lord's servants. This means every governmental regime, be it local, state, national, international, etc., is there because Yahweh wanted it there. Yet at the same time, Yahweh Sabaoth allows Satan to be the property manager, so to speak, of the world. And he does this for his, God's, own purposes. Over and over, we have seen that Satan is just a tool which Yahweh uses to accomplish his great and glorious purposes within the realm of humanity. As such, even the dragon must get permission to act against the chosen of God. Our adversary, the devil, may prowl around the holy ones like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but he cannot lay a tooth on them unless Yahweh Sabaoth approves it. This was clearly explained in Job chapters 1 through 2. The devil must first go before the great assembly, speak his accusations, then only if Yahweh gives him permission may he come against the holy ones, even then only to the extent specifically permitted. It may seem odd that Yahweh uses evil to accomplish his purposes, but this truth is found all throughout Revelation. He even uses evil to destroy evil. How crazy is that? When we get to Revelation 17, 17, we're specifically told that Yahweh puts it in the heart of the beast and the 10 horns of power through which the beast impacts or interacts with humanity to destroy the woman who rides the beast, the harlot, the spiritual being that leads humanity into spiritual apostasy. The great news is that everything in our lives happens according to the plan, foreknowledge, and predetermined strategy of Yahweh Adonai. Plan A. Nothing is random in our lives. Nothing is arbitrary or subject to chance. It has been determined. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained, when as yet there were none of them. Yahweh is the Lord, our God Almighty. Nothing happens that he did not choose to happen. This is our comfort. For if he chooses it to happen, it is for our good. Overcome the holy ones and to overcome them. The word we have translated as overcome comes from the Greek word neke or nike. And its use in this passage is completely ironic. In fact, the irony almost drips from the pages. The promises to inherit the kingdom of God, to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God, to not be hurt by the second death, to eat of the hidden manna, to receive a white stone and a new name, to exercise authority over the nations, to receive the morning star, to be clothed in white, to not have one's name erased from the Lamb's book of life, to have one's name confessed by Jesus before the Father and the angels, to be a pillar in the temple of God, to not go out from the temple, to have Jesus' new name, the name of God, and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem written on them, and to sit down on Jesus' throne are given to those who are now overcoming. Again, from the Greek word, nike. Sure, the beast can war. He can persecute the holy ones, take their things and kill or overcome them. But to what effect? To usher them into the arms of Jesus and into their eternal reward? Those promises that go on and on and on and on? 
That is a rather good exchange. Please do not miss out on the irony here. This will be a beautiful sacrifice of glory and honor. The beast will physically overcome the holy ones, thereby sealing them in the truth that they are the ones who are now overcoming and who are now and forever having the victory. This is the perspective that the Spirit wants us to embrace. He does not want us to live in fear of any sort of intimidation, but to laugh at the irony of it all. For a moment, in that brief three-and-a-half-month gap, which overlaps the two three-and-a-half-year periods of the tribulation, the holy ones will be hunted and many killed. But then, then they will receive things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who are now loving him. This speaks of a glory and a wonder which none of the rulers of this age, the spirit princes, understood. For if they had understood, they would never have caused the Lord of glory to be crucified. Authority over tribe, people, tongue. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was caused to be given to him. This beast or the beast is also given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. He did not earn it. He did not deserve it. And he thinks he took it, but it was merely given to him, just like it it was all given to the dragon. The dragon and the beast are both delusional posers. Everything they now have or will in the future possess is given to them by the hand of God. Therefore, we do not have to fear. Yahweh is in absolute control of all things all the time. Now, let us be clear. Although he has granted authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation, not every tribe and people and tongue and nation obey him or follow him. In the same way that our government has authority over its people, still not everyone obeys our government. That really won't change. We know specifically that the elect of Israel, the righteous, and the former nations of Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Amnon, all part of modern-day Jordan, they escape his grip. In fact, some element of these escapees will likely assist the elect as they flee from the dragon. Those who dwell on the earth. All who are now dwelling on the earth will in the future worship him, whose name has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the Lamb, caused to being slain from the foundation of the world. Though all may not obey and follow the beast, all those who are now choosing to make their permanent abode on earth and not in heaven shall in the future worship the beast. It is their destiny. So far in our study, we have referred to this lot as the accursed. From the foundation of the world. Note, not all, but various translations tend to link from the foundation of the world with the names that were not written in the book. These versions read, all who dwell on earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. In so doing, they are making the point that these people were doomed from before the beginning of time. However, in this passage, the Greek text specifically links from the foundation of the world to the lamb who has been slain and not to those whose name has not been written in the book. 
why then did certain translators connect it to those whose name has not been written in the book of life? Perhaps it is because this is how it is rendered in Revelation 17.8. Therefore, they change this text to fit the later text. Perhaps. But we must remember the Spirit is always intentional and extremely precise. Thus, he said things exactly as he wants us to understand them. With that understanding, the Spirit was making a very clear point about the Lamb, about the sacrifice of Christ, a point which many religious authorities struggle to believe. When it comes to the issue of sin and the necessity of the Lamb being slain, they do not believe in plan A, that sin, evil, and failure was all part of the plan from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. Too many people believe that the lamb being slain was in response to man's failure in the garden and not the plan in and of itself, almost as if it were plan B. (laughs) If Yahweh is the absolute sovereign Lord, the Adonai, there can never be a plan B, just plan A. The Codex is extremely clear that the chosen of God have obtained an inheritance that was predestined according to the will of God and that he chose them before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. If he chose us to be holy and blameless before the foundations of the world were laid, then he must naturally have contemplated how we would become holy and blameless. The Spirit is clear that it is only by and through the blood of the Lamb that a person becomes holy and blameless. What this tells us is that the Lamb being slain was plan A all along and it was determined from before the foundation of the earth. Hence, it is rendered in the perfect passive participle. The Father determined it and caused it to be, and the impact of that choice is ongoing. Each person who now or in the future comes to him comes to the lamb that was slain. This is one of the reasons Jesus descended into the bowels of the earth after his death, to preach to those who had died and to show them that the lamb who was slain was the object of their faith all along. Plan A applies to the very creation of evil, sin, and the dragon. Yes, God created evil. In the beginning, the serpent was in the garden. And since the devil sinned from the beginning, sin was present in the garden, even while Adam was busy cultivating the garden. And remember, in reference to Jesus, the Spirit said, all things by him, were chosen to be made. And apart from him, nothing was chosen to be made that has been made. The Spirit is clear, all things, not just people or angels, but all things, including the existence of evil. In so doing, God has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who are now believing. For God has shut up all in disobedience that he may show mercy to all. This, everyone and all, would include Adam and Eve. From the foundation of the world, their choice to rebel was the plan all along. Plan A. It was all necessary if the father was going to find his son, a pure bride that loved only him. The Lamb's Book of Life, whose names has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the Lamb. In the letter to Sardis, we quickly discussed the Lamb's book of life, but we should give it a more exhaustive review, pulling in other passages from the Codex in order that we might get a full understanding 
of this book of life. The most salient point is that this book belongs to the lamb, the one who was slain for our sins. It is the lamb's book. He took upon his own body the punishment for our sins such that we would not have to face judgment and condemnation because of our rebellion and hostility to God. As such, this book belongs to Jesus. The peculiar thing about this book is that, number one, certain names have always been written in the book since the foundation of the world. Number two, names get erased from the book. And number three, there are those whose name was never caused to have been written in the book in the first place. These are the accursed. Exodus 32, 33 through 34. Yahweh said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Psalm 69, 27 through 28. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. Philippians 4.3 And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Revelation 3.5 And he who is now overcoming in the future will choose to be clothed in white. I may never erase his name from the book of life, but in the future... I will confess his name before my father and his angels. Revelation 17, 8. And shall in the future be caused to wonder he who is now dwelling on the earth, whose name was not caused to be written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And Revelation 20, 12 through 15. I saw the dead, both great and small, having been standing before God's throne. And the books were caused to be opened. And another book was caused to be opened, which now is the book of life. And the dead were caused to be judged out of those things which were caused to now having been written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were caused to be judged according to their works. Then death and the grave were caused to be thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire now is the second death. And whoever was not found caused to having been written in the book of life was caused to be thrown in the lake of fire. And when it comes to the Lamb's book and its dealings with humanity, there are three categories. Number one, names that have always been written in the book since before the foundation of the world. Number two, names that get erased from the book. And three, those whose name, singular, was never caused to have been written in the book in the first place. Again, these are those whom we have referred to as the accursed. Now, it is very fascinating that in the passage in Revelation 20, in verses 12 and 15, on the judgment day, the Spirit used the perfect passive participle when he spoke of that which was caused to having been written in the book of their deeds, and that they were caused to having been written in the book of life. Use of the participle seems to imply that the fate of each person was not fixed and cemented as each book had been opened for entries, for writing and recording. Works which either condemns a person or a choice for life which would save them. This idea that the books had been open for entries is tied to two of the Jewish fall festivals, the Festival of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. 
Specifically, there is a time overlapping the festival of trumpet and the day of atonement when the fate of each person is determined. Some are deemed righteous and their names are in the book. And with the blast of the final shofar, the last trumpet, they will rise up to God. Some are in an intermediate stage and their inclusion or exclusion from the book will be determined based on their deeds during this time between the two festivals. But once the Day of Atonement arrives, their fate is sealed. Hence, there are those who are not in the book and will never be in the book. They are the accursed. We will address these festivals and their prophetic meaning in detail at the end of Revelation 14. With that said, the only passage that seems to indicate that the fate of a specific group had been sealed is in Revelation 17.8, where the perfect passive indicative is used, indicating that indeed, as a matter of fact, their name was not caused to be written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. This is specifically said of those who are now dwelling on the earth, now dwelling in the kingdom of darkness that is ruled by the demonic. Choice and destiny. Each of these passages has a unique blending of predestination, God having predestined events, and man's choice, the exercise of personal sovereignty. Both concepts run together and cannot be separated. It is the harmony of which exists outside of the constructs of time. According to the Codex, it is in Yahweh's foreknowledge of the choices each person will make, exercising their own personal sovereignty, given each set of circumstances which Yahweh Adonai appoints, that Yahweh calls, chooses, and predestines the affairs of that person, and thereby sets forth that person's eternal destiny. In the letter to Sardis, we discuss those whose name can be erased from the Lamb's book of life, and this applied to the called. Those who were brought into God's household, they were converted or born again, but never made the choice to live like a little child, dependent upon Yahweh for all things all the time. They still believed they could do good, be good, and that God should bless them and honor them for all their goodness. They are those who forget that the source matters. The source is everything. Their name gets erased, and they find themselves relegated to outer darkness, where they will eternally exist in that place where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Our passage, however, is focused on those whose name was never written in the book in the first place. This is the reason why we have referred to them throughout our study as the accursed and contrasted them from the called, the chosen, and the righteous. But we will now discover that the Spirit has his own name for this lot, a name that is extremely poignant and for our purposes is synonymous with the accursed. The name. All who are now dwelling on the earth will in the future worship him, whose name, singular, has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the Lamb, who had been caused to being slain from the foundation of the world. It's odd that name is singular and not plural. For proper grammatical syntax with all who are now dwelling being plural, one would think that the plural names should have been used those who are now dwelling on the earth whose names have not been caused to be written. 
But as we know, the spirit is always intentional and extremely precise. So why does he use the singular name? Is there one name that describes the entirety of this lot? What we will discover is that these are those who willingly worship the beast and take his name or the number of his name, not just on their forehead, but on their right hand, showing their fealty to the beast through offering him their power and strength. They are staunch supporters of the beast and his most fervent advocates. Consider what the world experienced with the Nazis and Hitler. The Nazis gave themselves to Hitler. They believed in Hitler and thought he was their savior, and they served him. They worshiped him, and they fully obeyed him. So it is with those who will give their heart, mind, and soul to the beast. The Codex refers to these people with a unique name. They are called vessels of wrath. They've been fitted or prepared for destruction by their own choice and by the hand of God. This name functions as a double entendre of sorts, which addresses the issue of both predestination and personal sovereignty. The vessels of wrath have been prepared for destruction, and they have prepared themselves for destruction, literally for relationship with Apollyon, Abaddon, the beast whose name is destruction. In Romans 9.22, the Codex makes this duality of sovereignty and choice quite clear. Let's quickly look at the extended passage with a focus on the preparation of these vessels of wrath. Romans 9, 19 through 24. You will in the future say to me, why does he now choose to find fault? For who has resisted his will? On the contrary, who now are you, O man, who now chooses to answering back to God? The thing molded will not in the future say to the molder, why were you making me like this? Will it? Or does the potter now have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although now willing to choose to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath caused to being prepared for destruction, choosing to being prepared for destruction? And he did so to make the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. The overall issue being addressed is fairness. If God is truly sovereign and no one can resist his will, then is it fair for God to hold accountable in judgment those who do evil? After all, God is the one who should take the blame and not those who do evil. But that is only half of the story, for there's also an underlying issue of personal sovereignty. For when it comes to these vessels of wrath prepared for the destroyer, the Spirit uses a parsed verb, meaning the verb has two applications. The verb is rendered in both the perfect passive participle, God had been fixing or preparing them, and in the perfect middle participle, they had dug deep down in their soul and chose to be preparing themselves for destruction. In this passage, destruction is a noun and not a verb. In other words, they have prepared for destruction and they have prepared themselves for destruction, literally for relationship with Apollyon, Abaddon, the beast whose name is destruction. 
Thus, when we are told that all who are now dwelling on the earth will in the future worship him, whose name has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the lamb who had been caused of being slain from the foundation of the world, we can be sure that they had a choice and that they made a choice and God sealed them in their choice. Therefore, in his sovereignty, he was not recording the vessels of wrath in the Lamb's book of life. With that said, Revelation 17, 8 seems to indicate that this choice was made outside of time, before the foundation of the earth. As such, this choice by God and by these vessels of wrath were part of God's completed works from which he rested on the seventh day. Hence, the decision being fixed in terms of their exclusion in the Lamb's book of life. And shall in the future be caused to wonder he who is now dwelling on the earth, whose name, singular, was not caused to be written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Again, all of this presents a sort of harmony of which exists outside of the constructs of time. Yahweh is the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who sees all things outside of the construct of time. Romans 8.29 is clear. It is in God's foreknowledge that he predestines. In his foreknowledge of the choices each person will make exercising their own personal sovereignty, given each set of circumstances which Yahweh Adonai appoints, he, God, calls, chooses, and predestines the affairs of that person and thereby sets forth that person's eternal destiny, the destiny which they chose. This includes not having the name of those who will in the future worship the beast written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Make no mistake, as mind-twisting as this issue is, with destiny being formed outside of linear time, it is never devoid of choice, personal sovereignty, the right of each person to choose their destiny. Each of these people have been prepared for destruction, and they have prepared themselves for destruction. This whole dynamic is very similar to those whom Yahweh swears in his wrath, that they will not enter his rest, and because they are those who will not choose to enter his rest. In contrast, but by way of reinforcing this point, and speaking of the 144,000, that great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues who had been standing before the throne and before the Lamb, having chosen to being clothed in white robes, the Spirit said that they are those who even now are digging deep down in their soul and making the choice to be coming out of the tribulation. Let's stop here, and we'll pick up on our next podcast with the passage, He that now has an ear, they are commanded to hear. He that into captivity, to captivity he now goes. He that is caused to kill with the sword, with the sword he must be caused to be killed. Here now is the perseverance and the faith of the holy ones, or set-apart ones. This will be a fascinating study. I'm glad you tuned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript, with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in. <laughs>